0: Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. First Samuel 17, four through 11 And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. Verse 16 says, For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening, Uh, 49 through 51, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You guys can grab a seat. Good morning, Hill City Church. My name is Brad, lead teaching pastor of Hill City. It's an honor to be with you uh, this morning. So, Right at the top of my notes was like the story of, of, of a hockey game from 1980, United States versus Russia. And it was last night. I've got my notes out. And I'm like, I'm changing it. I'm changing it. I'm not going to talk about this. I get to not talk about it. I get to talk about the bears and the hogs. And, and it's like, like it's the fourth quarter and we're up by 10. I'm like, here we go. And I don't get to do that today. But it was a good showing. So let's just pretend. Had... The Bears won the football game yesterday. Undoubtedly, all over ESPN and in sports papers and writings, you would have heard, David beats Goliath. Right? This is arguably one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Even people who have never gone to church, they don't, even, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't follow the Lord, like... They understand the term David and Goliath. It's used in sports. It's used in business. So, But it, listen, on the sports scene, outside of that, okay, a stronger, more talented uh, uh, foe would have been defeated by a, less, a lesser than, that's about as far as a sports analogy goes with David and Goliath. They're not that comparable. We'll talk about that. Uh, here in, in just a minute, but let me review where we've been, and then we're going to dive into this story. So we, we're in a series called the Throne, and we're looking at at the King, uh, God, the people's King. We're going to look at God's King. We'll eventually get to the King of Kings. we will actually get to the King of Kings every week. It's what we do around here. But when we out of the gate, I started talking about idolatry, and that idolatry was anything that sits in the seat where God is supposed to sit. In other words, anything. Hear this? Anything that we might go to in order to find our worth to find our value to find our identity or let me add to find our confidence that is an idol Israel wanted a king and they wanted a king and in that king they would put their confidence they would they they wanted a king to go before them in battle Someone they could be proud of. And guess who they got? They got Saul who stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Literally head and shoulders. He was tall. But Saul was not very good at his job. We saw that because he did not obey God. He didn't listen to God. He, he did not do what he was supposed to do. So God chooses David. That was last week. The intentionally forgotten son. And we saw last week that God will choose unlikely, unusual, and unguessable people To accomplish his will and his purposes. He did it then. He did it with his son who was born in a manger. Came from a town. Nothing good came from that town. But he is the king of kings. And he continues to do that to this day. He will accomplish his purposes through people who you would never imagine. Now, before we get into this passage, I want to talk about two camps just briefly. When it comes to this story, there's kind of two camps out there that some of you might be familiar with. So one camp is like, okay, I read David and Goliath and like, I'm David and I can go fight my giants and I'm the hero of the story. And, and, then we, and, and in this camp, typically we'll take anything and everything we can grab and turn it into a giant and be like, I can do this. Okay, that's a camp. Then over here, you've got this camp. And it's like, you people are idiots. The Bible is about God, not about you. How dare you even say such a stupid thing? Okay? Now listen. We don't do this at Hill City. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to kindly quit. Okay? It's arrogant. It's unloving. It's not not the gospel culture and gospel response that we desire here. Okay? Now what I'm going to tell you is that I'm not going to be put in either camp. Okay, and I would ask maybe that you would just, just kind of go there with me as well. The Bible is a very rich book. Do we all agree with that? Okay, and yes, listen, the Bible is ultimately one big story about one king. Yes, but, but will I use the story of David and Goliath when I'm taking my kids to school on their very first day in a new school and maybe use David as a way to encourage them and tell them they can do it? Yes, and if you want to curse me for a heretic... I guess go for it, but I'm not going to be in either camp here, and I don't want you to be either. So let's jump into this passage. We didn't read verse one through four. Let me just set the scene. Israel is at war again. You're going to see this is a common theme in the Old Testament, and and here they are at war with the Philistines this time. Okay, and then verse four through seven is where we started today, and. We are introduced to this character, this this real person in history named Goliath. I'm not going to get into how tall he might have been or might not have been. I'm just telling you, he's a big dude. We know he's bigger than Saul. We know he was super big. Can that just be enough for today? That he was super big. What I want to bring your attention to in these first four verses is that everything that's describing this enemy of God is external. Let's, Let's look at it. whose height was six cubits in span. He had a helmet of bronze. He was armed with a coat of, of, of mail. Okay, this would have been a scaly-looking uh, type of protection. I won't, there's a lot we could talk about there, right? He had a bronze armor on his legs, a javelin between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, right? The spear's head weighed 600 shekels. It's like all this external, external, external. Look at this massive individual with massive weapons. I mean, he, is, he, he there's no one that could ever beat him. But I've got to take us back to chapter 16, and I want to read the verse of verses within this story Verse 7 of 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature. So right out of the gate we have this massive person and it's all an external description. And then you read that this giant, this this warrior, he comes out before the armies of Israel and he taunts them in verses 8 through 11. He taunts them. He's begging for a fight. He stood and shouted at verse 8, the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? It's like basically what he's saying, am I not elite in warfare? I'm a Philistine. State-of-the-art warrior. But look what he says next. And are you not servants of Saul? Now if you've read this story, that sentence could be lost on you. But here you have this massive guy, big time external uh, 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 external uh, description, but he's, he, he's, he's sorely mistaken when he says, are you not servants of Saul? See, Goliath didn't know who he was talking to. But only if The Israeli armies and Saul would have known who they were only if God would have told them. And then not just tell them, only if God would have just written it down so they wouldn't have forgotten it. Oh, you mean like in Genesis, chapter 17... This is going to be important. When he's talk, this, is, this, is, this is when uh, God's talking about this covenant of circumcision. Remember that. The covenant of circumcision. I'll come back to that. And God says in uh, Genesis 17, 7 and 8, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. The, the offspring after them would have been this Israeli army. I will, I will be God to you. And your offspring after you, and I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That's what God said. Man, I'm glad he wrote it down. Oh, but he didn't just write it in Genesis. Let's go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. God redeemed them. He goes on to say in verse seven, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I'm so glad God said this and he wrote it down in Genesis and he wrote it down in Exodus. Oh, but then he said it again in Leviticus chapter 26. I will make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. Thank goodness that God said this, and he wrote it down in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, but then he said it again in Deuteronomy. Chapter 7, verse 6, For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Listen, this is who God said that they were. And Goliath says, are you not servants of Saul? And someone should have stood up and said, no, we are servants of the most high God. You have it wrong. But they didn't do that. They actually started to believe the lies that Goliath was spewing. He spoke an untruth. And Saul and the Israeli army believed the lies. In other words, they did not see things as they truly were. Remember that. They did not see things as they truly were. So I want you to get this point and take it home with you. Who a person is, is who God says they are. And you're going to hear lies, people telling you who you are. And you're going to have to have enough courage to say, that's not who I am. I know you knew me in high school and that's who I used to be. That's not me. Don't believe the lies. See things as they truly are. So we've got to move on in the story. So verse 9, now Goliath proposes a deal. You guys know this if you've been in church. He's like, listen, give me a guy to fight. If I win, you all are my servants. If this guy wins, we will be your servants. Verse 11 says this, when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They bought the lie, and here's what it caused them to do. They walked by sight and not by faith. That's how the New Testament would word it. They see this massive opponent, and they're they're scared at what they saw. But let's go back. Do you remember? Hey, give us a king. Do you remember that? Give us a king that will go before us in battle. And God said, okay, and he gave him a king, head and shoulders above everyone. This is, this is him. Go before us in battle. You are the one who we'll be proud of. You are the one we're going to put our confidence in. And here we see that very king scared to death. See, Saul was actually Israel's giant that they would parade, but it didn't work. He was the one that was supposed to protect them. He is where they put their confidence. It was a misplaced confidence. Remember that. But what a scene, let's go to the battlefield. What a scene, this must have been an army and its leader like cowering in fear. But the reality is you and I would have been cowering in fear as as well. There was so much at stake here. And we just hear like, oh, you'll be our servants or we'll be your servants. And it'll all be, listen, th- th- this is the ancient world here. Basically what would have happened, had Goliath won, most of that army, ar- they would have just killed them. And they would have taken the best of the best. Then they would have headed into town and, and committed horrible atrocities against the Israeli women and children, killing most of them and taking the rest of them for slaves. Like, listen to me, scary, wicked stuff. This is what was at stake here. And God's people were very, very afraid. And verse 16 said that Goliath did this for 40 days, morning and night. He came before them, taunting them, spewing lies. He was confidently spewing lies. But Saul and the Israeli army believed them. Now among these warriors would have been Jesse's three oldest sons. They would have been at battle. And Jesse, Jesse wants to know, how, how are his sons doing? So he sends David, and he, he sends David with some food and some stuff for the, for the warriors. And he says, bring me back some evidence that, that my sons are okay. So he sends David to the battlefield. Now here's the thing. This is the first, like David goes public now. David is on the scene publicly. Remember, his anointing was in private. He goes back to the fields, right, to his sheep. Right now, David comes on the public stage for the first time. He arrives. He makes his way through the armies. He gets up to the front lines where his brothers would have have been waiting for a possible battle. And verse 23 says this. As he talked with them, that's his brothers, behold, the champion, this is what they called Goliath, The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. The same words that he did 40 days before, but there's a little sentence at the end of verse 23, and this time it says this. And David heard him. So he's talking to his brothers. He hears the guy yelling, and and he hears him. But after he hears him, what happens is that Israel, the army of Israel, they did the same thing that they had done over and over and over again. Like, they were scared. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him. And they were much afraid. And as they're running away, they're like, have you seen this man? Have right? See the external? See what they're looking at? Have you seen this guy? He's massive. He's massive. And David comes on the scene. So, you have an army. Have you seen him? Let's go back to last week. They were mesmerized by what they saw this massive warrior. And it led to fear. And remember what I said last week God is not mesmerized by anything that he sees. And that's good news. The whole army was walking by sight, they had no confidence. But here comes David who actually sees things as they truly are. In other words, David comes on the scene and he sees reality. Saul didn't see reality. His army didn't see reality. Goliath didn't see reality. One dude comes on the scene and he saw things as it really, as it was. In other words, he saw God accurately. And when we see God accurately, it will cause us to see Giants accurately. Goliath, he lies over and over. Israel starts to believe it. David comes on the scene. He's the only one that is speaking any kind of truth. Look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of a living God? See, here's the thing. We look at this story. All of us know this story. And we think, what is this story about? This story is about David who represents courage and Goliath is all of our fears and our challenges. And I don't think that's what the story is about. This story is about David who properly placed his confidence. He saw things as they truly were. And that caused him then to draw a correct conclusion which led to appropriate action. And Saul and the men of Israel and Goliath, they had a misplaced confidence. They did not see things as they truly were, thus drawing an incorrect conclusion which led to inappropriate action and ultimately led to death. This is a story of properly placed confidence and misplaced confidence. See, to David, Goliath was as good as dead. Do you hear the tone in his voice? What's the guy going to get that kills this guy? Like, this guy's as good as dead. Which one of us is going to do it? And what does he get? Goliath was as good as dead to David because he saw things as they truly were. So what do you mean, Brad? Here's the lie, that this was some unbeatable giant. That's what everyone there thought. But to the one who saw things as they truly were, the one who saw reality, this was just an uncircumcised Philistine. He was as good as dead. And what did this Philistine do? He defied the armies of the living God. If you write in your Bible, just underline living God. He defied the armies of a living God. David was passionate about the honor of his living God. See, David never once looked at Goliath and called him a giant. David never once looked at Goliath and said, hey, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. He never said it. He just called him what he was. He was an uncircumcised Philistine. David remembered what was written in Genesis at that covenant of circumcision. When God said, this is my covenant to you, I will be your God. And David said, that's us. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He's as good as dead. Because he had confidence and a living God, verse 28 then, he's asking these questions. Who's gonna, let's go, let's kill this guy. Well, somebody's going to kill this guy. This guy's as good as dead. And then big brother pipes up. You remember, remember big brother who Samuel's like, this guy's got to be king. And God's like, no, he's just another Saul. Big brother Eliab's like, David, what are you doing? Said that he got angry. Then he falsely accused his brother's motives. And if you read the verse there, he, he, he does it with great disdain. Eliab. In verse twenty-eight, like you—I mean, you guys—go back and read it, but I'll just—I'll just read it. Elib's anger was kindled against me. He said, "Why have you come down? Like, don't you have some sheep to watch, you little punk?" That's his tone. There's great disdain there. David, I'm sure, was used to it. So let me just stop and let me just give some of you some encouragement out of of this. Okay, step kind of out of the sermon. Let me just give you, some of you need to hear this. Okay, um, you can't. You can't let it stop you. When you're the one walking by faith, you're following Jesus. You're doing what God has called you to do. And those closest to you, who should love you the most, are the ones that treat you with disdain because of it. See, this still happens. But David didn't let him stop. Let it stop him. I don't want you to let it stop you. That's just a, that's just uh, just a side note. But listen, it wasn't just Iliad. So David didn't just have to go up against his brother who who had to stay. He also had to go up against Saul. Verse 32 and 33 says this. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. You're just a youth. This guy's been killing people since he was a youth. You can't do this. And David, here he goes again, speaking truth into the situation, right? He, he starts to tell Saul, hey, listen, let me tell you some things that happened. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. So what is he talking about? The verse before that, remember, he, he kept sheep. And when lions and bears would come and try to snatch a sheep from the flock, David had killed lions and bears. And then listen to what he tells Saul, listen, this uncircumcised Philistine, he's going to be like one of them. He's as good as dead. But then David said, the Lord, Yahweh, God, the living God, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine also. See, what's funny is, David actually had to go against three Goliaths that day. He had to go against his brother who showed great disdain. You can't do this. Then he had to go against Saul who said, what are you doing? You can't do this. And then he'll actually have to go fight Goliath who we'll see in a minute as he's walking up to him. Goliath's like, you can't do this. He saw things as they truly were. But listen, where did David place his confidence? He didn't tell Saul, I'm an awesome shepherd, I'm so skilled at fighting, I've worked so hard at this, I've given my life to this craft, I am good, I can kill things. That wasn't his posture. He said, God deliver me from lions, God delivered me from bears, God will deliver me from this Philistine. See, with David, we see properly placed confidence. How did David get here? How was he able to do this? Because all around David was fear. People full of fear, gripped with anxiety, right? They were hopeless. They were powerless. This is over. Like, like we're as good as dead. David comes on scene and said, no, this giant is as good as dead. Like, how is that possible? Is David on a different battlefield? He's in the same place. How does he do this? Well, he faced this challenge just like he did lions and bears. He went with a living God. Yeah, Brad, I get that, but like, how did he do it, though? Well, the New Testament paints a picture for us. Paul describes it like this. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That means you see things as they truly are. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you remember when David is anointed and said, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him? It's a supernatural thing. Yes, you have to make a conscious decision to trust God, believe in the living God, but it's a supernatural work of the Spirit that causes us to see things properly. That's what was going on. And what it would cause David to do is remember past deliverances that Yahweh had provided. He just remembered, which takes, listen, somebody in here's forgotten. You know how I know that? Because I've forgotten. Like, Baby, I I don't really, I have no idea how we're going to pay these bills. And I've forgotten that God has always taken care of us. Babe, I think, maybe we we give too much to the church. Like, we got to, God has always taken care of us. That's just an example in the Lot's house. Listen, I don't know what, uh, listen, I don't know what you've forgotten, but Yahweh has, there are past deliverances in your life. Don't forget them. That's what David did. And it caused them to say, no, this uncircumcised Philistine, he's as good as dead. But this is what I think happens. Listen to me. I want us to remember this. The living God. What do I want you to remember today? More of you. What do I want you to remember today? Okay, listen to me. Sometimes, if you're like me, problems come into my life. And when, if people watch how I deal with those problems, they would never conclude, this guy believes that his God and king is alive and active. Sometimes I forget. I need you all to remind me. I need to be taught over and over again that my king is alive and he's active. So here comes Saul. He's like, fine, okay, David, I guess I'm going to let you do this, verse 38 and 39. But look, here's what you need. You need these tools. You need these weapons. There's no way. Listen, you got to have this stuff. Saul had continued to put his confidence in the wrong thing. He put his confidence in the same tools that the world put their confidence in. You got to have this sword. You got to have this protection. You got to have this. And David's like, I can't even walk with this junk on. Like, no, no, I'm not wearing this stuff. Just listen, leave me alone. Let, Let me go do this with my shepherd tools. So, David goes. But we see Goliath, who also had a misplaced confidence. See, Goliath had confidence in himself. Goliath had confidence in his accomplishments. Goliath had confidence in his power and his might and his weapons. And then we see one of the more epic trash talking sessions in all of Scripture, where Goliath 43 and 44, we see this misplaced confidence. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come? To me with sticks. See, so he didn't know who he was fighting. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come to me, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So Goliath is telling him what you're going to do. But look at verse 45. Here's some properly placed confidence. Then David said to the Philistines, see, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. He put his confidence in a living God. Properly placed confidence. And then the epic battle, right? This is why sports analogies are not good for David and Goliath. Let me tell you, if 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 Missouri State had walked in to Arkansas yesterday and beat them like seventy to nothing, that would have been David and Goliath. But we see these sports battles. There's this back and forth, and the little guy just pulls it out, right? That is not this battle. This battle is two verses long. David gets some stones, slings one, boom, dead. That's the battle, the this epic battle scene. Two verses long. And he goes and he stands over this giant. Grabs his own sword. because Grabs the giant sword because they didn't have it. He cuts his head off. Game over. So now we got to talk. You guys know the story. Just application after application. We could be here all day. But what is it that God would have for us, Hill City? What is it? We're in this story. What is it God would have for us today? I want you to see a few things this morning. I want you to see that Israel won the battle, but one man did the work. Look at me. David, David didn't rejoice alone. Right? He wins. You think he's like, everybody else sit down and shut up. I did this. Israel rejoiced. You can read later in chapter 18, like the women are coming out singing and they got their tambourines, they're dancing. Everybody got the win. One man did the work. Which takes me to a very important doctrine that I want to teach this morning. Doctrine of imputation. I don't know it's a million dollar word. But here's what you need to understand. David did not fight for Israel. David fought as Israel. Had he lost all of Israel was in big trouble. All of Israel got the win that day. And David's win was actually imputed to his people. His, his people got to call the win... For himself now, why am I bringing this to your attention because this is absolutely a picture of what the son of David who was going to come one thousand years later like and, and he came on the scene and he saw things as they truly were, just like David and he would go to a cross where he was killed he was buried he was raised again, and in that he defeated sin he defeat, he defeated death he is absolutely alive he is a living God today he is sitting on his throne today and he got the win in all of that work and we did not move a muscle that is really really good news David killing Goliath listen it's a real thing it happened in history these are real people this was a real battle and a real death but it is absolutely a picture of what Jesus did, the truer and the better David. Listen, this story is about Jesus, and he he defeated sin. That is our greatest enemy. Don't miss it. That is our greatest enemy. Jesus also saw things as they truly were, just like David, but he properly placed his confidence in the plan of his father. Even in the garden, and he says, Dad, is there another way but not my will but yours? See, that's good, Brad, I know that. I mean, I know the Bible's about Jesus, but what about our everyday lives? Like, what about our day-to-day? Well, we teach this here. Do you know that we can be like Jesus? As we grow, we can become like Christ. Anybody ever heard that? Right? I know it sounds, churches, we can be like Jesus. We can see things properly, and then we can properly place our confidence in him, and we can have victory. The Bible says we are actually more than conquerors through him who loved us. So how do we learn to do this? It's through discipleship. You get into communities of people that can, we can remind one another, we can learn more and more about Jesus, and we, we can become like Jesus Listen, but we can certainly also be like Saul. We can be like Goliath, and we can improperly place our confidence in things. We've talked about this. Unapologetically, unapologetically, I'm going to talk about it again. Some of you put your confidence in a relationship. Well, relationships end. Do you know this? Some of you put your confidence in money. Money. Listen, newsflash, this economy is going to get way worse. I'm not not trying to discourage you. I'm just telling you it's not going to go well over the next 30 years. Don't put your confidence there. Some of you put your confidence in success. Well, sometimes you fail. Some of you put your confidence in your abilities that God gave you. What happens when you lose those abilities? That happens. Some of you put your confidence in your health. You know what people lose a lot? Health. Then what do you do? Hey, in this gathering especially, some of you put a lot of confidence in your parenting skills and your awesome parents. What happens when a kid goes wayward? Where are you placing your confidence? And I want us to evaluate this morning. Listen, I'm guilty. These sermons beat me over the head as I study them. I misplace my confidence often. Together, let's help each other place our confidence in a living God. Listen, I just can't conclude that this story is about David's courage. I've read it. I've heard sermons. Listen, this passage is about the strength and the provision of a living God, even in David's weakness. Listen, one of the greatest things we could ever do this morning is just admit our weakness, And the New Testament would say, in that, he is made strong. That's what we want. In our weakness, he is made strong. And that's where we will boast. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. So here's what I think would be tragic. Two things would be tragic today, okay? So I really want you to hear this. It would be tragic for somebody in here to hear today, that, man, I've got what it takes. I can go out and win. I can just go out and win because I have what it takes on the inside. I can beat all my giants because I have what it takes. I don't want us walking out of here thinking about how much we can accomplish. I want us floating out of here in a confidence, with confidence placed in a living God. Another thing that will be tragic is for someone to hear this morning that, hey, your giant and your life, it hasn't fallen because you don't have enough faith. So I'm going I'm to pose a question. This is a serious question. Many of you are living this right now. What happens when you've grabbed your stone and you've thrown it and your giant didn't fall? Are we left alone? You did all you could. You walked in faith and the marriage was still lost. You did all you could. You prayed like crazy, but the baby was still lost. You did all you could, but the sickness took your loved one. Listen, can, can I offer some hard love today? Because listen, I've had to learn this. I'm learning this. I'm just inviting you to learn this with me. My prayer for all of us is that we will in time learn that Jesus is enough. In time that we know that there's actually only one thing in this world that we truly need. Hear me out. God is a giver of good gifts. A great marriage is an awesome gift from God. Kids are gifts from God. A job, wealth, our health, these are all great gifts from God. Loved ones are gifts, but they are not what we truly and ultimately need. Our greatest need this morning is that we not be separated from a living God. Our greatest need this morning is deliverance from our sin. And Jesus did this by the shedding of his blood, and we didn't move a muscle So to the unbelievers in the room, there there are a bunch of unbelievers here every Sunday in case you don't know this. Here's what the Bible says. In your case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of God, who is the image of Christ. My prayer for you this morning is that God would shine a light into your heart that you might see things as they truly are and that you would see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ who ultimately did the thing that you needed most. And here's what you do. You just come with empty hands of faith and say, thank you that I didn't have to move a muscle. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my savior. Believers, Put our trust in the living God. Why? Second Corinthians says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. So we're going to receive communion. May we put our confidence, may we properly place our confidence this morning. Stand with me.